Welcome to the Teaching Self-Government Podcast with Nicolene Peck. Improving your life, uniting your family, changing the world. Welcome to the Teaching Self-Government Podcast. I am Nicolene Peck, and I am joined here today with my daughter, Paige Baumert. Hi, Paige. Hello. Okay, so Paige, today we're going to talk about little children, and this is so exciting for you because you're expecting your first little child. So Paige says to me, Mom, people always want to know about little children stuff. So Paige, you happen to be talking to someone recently, and they said, we want to know more about little children, right? Mm -hmm. And how to help little children learn self-government. And so we're going to be talking today about what they can do, what they can't do. And we're going to be talking about how to help them learn some of the basics of self-government. But before we do that, as is tradition here on the Teaching Self-Government podcast, we are going to be talking about a fun family activity. And we've got one coming up in our family that I thought sounds really fun. So what is a fun family activity that we have liked to do in the past, Paige? Well, especially since right now when we're recording, it's summertime. Uh, We love to go to lakes and go canoeing and kayaking and paddleboarding and just swimming in general. But uh, that's one thing that we love to do. Yeah. And throwing the rocks in and all that (laughs) kind of stuff. It's just really fun, you know, to have some lake time, like lake is different than the ocean, but if you're by the ocean and there's not as many lakes, go to the beach, you know, but it's just fun to have some beach time to play in the sand and to just have that downtime, that relaxing time. And the cool thing about planning a lake day or a beach day is that you get to just chill for a long period of time you know, and so it's one of those family activities that takes more time, and I think creates some really lasting, beautiful memories, so yeah, we're getting ready to do that, we've got a little trip coming up, where we're going to be going to a lake, and, and going, and, and playing in boats, and of course, you know, dad, Paige, he's probably going (laughs) to rent something that has a big motor in it, and you know, you know, he loves the jet skis and the boats <laughs> and stuff too. But, you know, depending on what size lake, you know, there's there's all different ways that you can participate in the lake. Just get a little blow up tube, you know, and go out there or blow up boat. And that's fun too. So anyway, play sure. in the water. Lots of fun. Okay. So we're going to look at uh, little children today and can little children learn self-government? And we're going to do that through the lens of self-government. So Paige, talk to us about some of the components of self-government and what that really means, self-government. So the way that we define self-government is being able to determine the cause and effect of any given situation and possessing a knowledge of your own behaviors so that you can control them. So now we are talking about little kids and little children. And so this, this has to be taught to them and exampled to them because they don't necessarily possess a knowledge of their own behaviors. And since they can't do that, they also don't know how to control them. And so that's kind of what we want to talk about today. Um, And that happens a lot through the four basic skills, which we share a lot with young children. So following instructions, accepting no answers and criticism, accepting consequences and disagreeing appropriately. Um, And then also through self-correction. So that's something we do have to train children to do. 
Um, that was something that I was definitely trained to do over and over and over and over again as I was growing up. I remember that there are lots of times where I was pulled aside and said, mm, that's not okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I mean, you have to learn cause and effect, right? It's part of the definition mm-hmm. that you just shared with us. So Paige, I think you're hitting on something really important here. And that's that little children don't just innately control themselves. I mean, that would be very rare. There are occasionally some small children, little toddlers that I've seen that seem to have like a sense about what people are feeling and they seem to care about what people feel or mm-hmm. what people want. And they try to please other people in order to get certain emotions to come out of that person. But that really does fall in the realm of um, just, I mean, it's kind of like a manipulating, like you're seeing, okay, well, how do I get that person to do that? And I want to, I want to see that person feel happy. And so I want to do this with that person. So it, they aren't necessarily cluing into I'm going to do this for me so that I can be more in control of me. Instead, they are doing it to try to get something a different way. But we can take some of that awareness, especially for a child that has that type of an awareness. We can take that awareness and we can really use it. But there are some children that are oblivious. <laughs> and we've seen those two where they're just like, squirrel like whatever the next thing is that's what it is whatever the next emotion is that surfaces that's what they expose to everybody else and so they have to be taught how to be aware of themselves what they're doing and it takes a lot of practice so Paige I yeah. think you hit on something I'll say, and, and that is like you corrected flip- many times yeah there's a whole flip side of that too where uh, I've had parents come to me and say I feel like my child has no emotion except for anger when they don't get their way. Mm. You know, like they don't care that they're hitting and pinching their sibling or they don't care, you know, this, that, and the other. I'm like, huh, interesting. And we were actually uh, talking to someone a little bit earlier and they were like, you know, I had to teach my child how to feel remorse and how to, you know, apologize to someone and how Mm -hmm. to really like the steps of showing that they care about someone, which is smart for that mother to do. And she's like, is that normal? I'm like, yeah, that's, you have to teach your children those things. Yeah. They learn by example. Well, and I love that this mother said to us, um, and this was actually one of our teaching self-government mentors who we Mm -hmm. were talking to. And, um, she said, you know, I know I made a mistake when my child was, was little, I probably didn't show that I cared that much. So I was misunderstanding things and I, and she's just a little bit more no nonsense, you know, in her personality. Mm -hmm. And so she was getting the child to behave, but not actually, you know, bonding in as best as she could. She had a little bit of a tricky time bonding with that particular child. And so then the child did struggle caring and understanding other people. And so she recognized that maybe that could have come from some stuff when he was younger. And so she's been just consistently working on it. Also, I mean, there are different personalities of children. We have some little toddlers and little children that are more strong-willed than others, you know? And, And so there's all these different dynamics that we bring into play. But then there's also just the developmental differences that little children have in comparison to adults, obviously, and in comparison to older children or youth. So many people think, and this is a a mistaken thing, okay? Um, So many people think that little children need to have everything presented to them differently. 
and that's actually a mistake oh, but differently uh, they mean less maturely yeah well so what they mean is like when you hear a skill like say there's a skill for accepting a no answer which we know everyone needs and especially little children wow mm-hmm. this is one we know <laughs> they need right because they're always like no <laughs> you know <I'm> like, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> let's see we got a skill for that it's yeah. called accepting a no answer <laughs> you know or following an instruction or whatever but let's say it's accepting a no answer so you look at the person you keep a calm face voice somebody you say okay or you disagree appropriately and then you drop the subject so people think that sounds complex how could a little child learn that so that's great for older children but what do I do for little children well I'll tell you what for little children what you do is you teach them to look at the person (laughs) keep a calm face (laughs) voice and body it's the same you actually teach them the same skill and they can learn it so um, maybe if there's one takeaway that you get from this, although there's going to be many things that we talk about specifically about teaching small children these skills and how to self-correct and stuff like that. But if you remember nothing else, just remember that these skills are for all ages. Mm-hmm. So usually as soon as a child can talk you know, decently. I mean, we're talking age two here, probably starting when they're young, when they're one year old, you can start teaching them to say, okay, you can say, this is a calm face. This is not a calm face. This is a calm voice. This is not a calm voice, you know? And so you can tell them the difference between calm. You can teach them those words. You can teach them to say, okay, you can teach them to look at you. You can, you can have that tone that everything's good and comfortable and calm. So you can be bringing in these skills bit by bit starting when they're like a year old and just really little but by the time they get to two and they can talk pretty decently most of them can not all I know there's different developmental levels there but they can talk okay um and say basic little sentences you would be surprised they can disagree appropriately Mm-hmm. And that is the most complex of the four basic skills is disagreeing appropriately. And, and I see it all the time. I go to people's homes all the time and I see their children do these skills. I, I stand at booths at conventions and people will come up to me like at my booth or after I present and they're like, I want you to meet my child and, and hear, you know, little toddler child show Nicolene how you can disagree appropriately. Let's practice it. And they want to show me because they're so excited that their toddler <laughs> learned to disagree appropriately and how cute it sounds, you know, so people are always showing me their skills. I love that. Um, <laughs> anyway, so they can, they can. So, so it's kind of mistaken. Now, one of the reasons why people think surely it must be different is because developmentally, they are at a different phase than older children or youth. And so when a person is older, when they can read and they can comprehend and compare, contrast a lot more things than people and assume well, they're more. Yeah, they, that's true. They remember, they can remember their experiences. It doesn't seem like this morning was actually last year, <laughs> you know, <laughs> stuff like they actually have time frame reference and all that kind of stuff that, yeah, that they're at a different developmental place. And actually the skills are really easy to learn once a child gets to that level, yeah. but they can be learned when they're younger. And when you guys were little, I started teaching to them, them to you as soon as you were babies. Mm-hmm. So Paige, you never didn't know what those skills were never it's true yeah because you were teaching them to the foster uh kids that were in our home while I was growing up because you started doing that when I was just a little baby um Mm, you were one yeah Mm -hmm. and so I always had those which I think is awesome and I'm sure it helped out a lot with you know me and Quinn and you know just little interactions there but I think it's interesting that you mention um like that time frame permanence and the, and the remembering, 
because I feel like a lot of parents, they get the idea that, you know, if I just, if I just tell my kid to do it a couple times, they'll be fine. But at age three, you know, you could have told him a couple days ago, that's like three years ago, you know, yeah. I remember that. And so I think that's where a lot of parents get frustrated and they're like, what? I, I just told them like yesterday. Mm-hmm. <laughs> totally. You have to tell them again. <laughs> Totally. No, it, this is so true. Parents are like, I taught him that I told him, no, I've taught him his boundaries. And, and I think my, to myself, but he's three, you know, or buddies. Did two, you remind him of his boundaries? You know? And they're like, how, and, and they say other things to, to me, like, how come my two-year-old needs so much attention? And I'm like, <laughs> because she's two, like, that's mm-hmm. just how it is. So there are some developmental things that we have to keep in mind when we're working with little children that are different. Okay. Yeah. So I think we've hit on one and that is repetition. Okay. Mm-hmm. So they are going to learn by example and repetition more than anything else. Okay. Whatever you do, if you are calm, they will learn to be calm. They will learn how to do it, especially if you talk to them about it, whatever you practice with them again and again, and that you put, you implement and into daily life, that is going to be something that they're going to learn and they're going to be okay with. So practice, 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 which means you have to have patience, patience, patience Patience with them and with yourself. (laughs) Yeah. Which means you have to go, Oh, I'm just teaching this again. It's no big deal. We, so I think in our adult brains, once we are matured to a level, we think everyone must be on our same maturity. Mm -hmm. Like Like we learned it. We know it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I learned the four basic skills in like 20 minutes. What's up? Why, you know, know, okay, well, how about we just keep in mind that this is now new language that's being presented to these children and it's going to take them a bit. Although that said, when they're little, they actually do learn it faster than their parents. We need Mm -hmm. to remember that their minds are very supple, really moldable. They can learn almost anything. They love compare and contrast, which is great. Um, they keep it pretty simple when they're little, like that's bad. That's good. That's right. That's wrong. That's up. That's down. That's hot. That's cold. That's angry. That's happy, you know? And so they keep, (laughs) they keep like the things pretty simple in their mind. It's very black and white, everything, which is good for us in teaching them self-government and starting the process of teaching them to analyze themselves because what they actually are able to do is see the comparison between other people's emotions and feelings and what's going on. So then we just teach them to examine their own. So that's the only step that really has to be altered. They can get cause and effect. This is great. And so remember that. In fact, you know, they get cause and effect because they sit in their high chair before they can even talk. Okay. And you've got little, let's say cereal or fruits or something all over the, the little tray of the high chair that they're eating at. Okay. And they pick it up, they eat a few, and then they start picking it up and they drop it off the edge. <laughs> and they look at it fall down. That is cause and effect. That is them learning. Oh, look, look what happened. And then you and then say they do it over and over and over again. Yes. And then you pick it up. Maybe it's a toy. Maybe it's a sippy. Maybe it's a, you pick it up, you put it back on the tray and then they take it and they drop it and they go, Oh, <laughs> because the first time you said, Oh, and you picked it up and you put it back and now they drop it and go, Oh, and then you pick it up and put it back. And Oh, what have we made a game? This is a game that teaches cause and effect. Cause and How effect fun game. is this? 
Yes, cause and effect <laughs> game. We know. Drop it, mama picks it up. So they can learn it. Even before they know full sentences, they know cause and effect. They see things in action. But, but like you said, Paige, they don't always have self-awareness. They right. think of everything as happening to them. And so teaching them the self-awareness is the yeah. step. I would say like, even with babies, kind of like with object permanence, that doesn't show up for a little bit, a little while. If it's not mm-hmm. in their line of sight, it's not there. Yeah. And they may not even remember it ever was. Yeah. And so yeah. that's why, that's why babies love peekaboo, you know, cause your face disappears and reappears, you know, stuff <laughs> yeah. like that. Yeah. And it's a surprise every time. And so I feel like that's kind of how it is with teaching these skills to younger children too. You have to make sure that you're consistent with those pre-teachings and those role plays. And that's something I was emphasizing with this mother that I was talking to. And she said, you know, maybe, maybe I just haven't pre-taught as much as I should be or as as much as I thought I was. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you know, that's true because you have to take the time because we teach, you know, especially when you're first learning this, this system uh, to, you know, after every correction, you would take a minute to role play and to practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and you would also pre-teach all the things you're going to do and all the things that, you know, you're going to help them say stuff like that. And so I think parents, they lose patience with themselves because like, I have to do this again, but you have to realize that, that skill permanence isn't there yet. Mm -hmm. So they've learned it, but they have to be reminded of it. You have to show your face again in the game of peekaboo and be like, remember this skill? Oh yeah, I remember, you know? And so, but then the kid knows exactly what to do. Right. And that's where the pre-teaching comes in. So, so there are five different teaching styles and um, one of those teaching styles is pre-teaching. And this is where you teach the child ahead of time what they need to accomplish. But there's three different types of pre-teaching. There's situational pre-teaching, instructional pre-teaching, and then prepping. And when with prepping, it's like right before they need the skill, you say, I'm going to give you a no answer. Here are the steps to accepting a no answer. Okay, now I'm going to give you step number one. Look at me. Look at the person. Mm-hmm. Oh, good job. Step number one. Okay, let's go on to step number two. Calm face, voice, and body. Do you have have it you know oh look at you calm face you know oh good high five you know, i mean we're going to be going through each thing each so you have to time. break it down just a little bit more but it's all still the same well yeah but they can still learn it and the thing is is that so as our brain grows and develops we can take one thing and start applying it to something else mm-hmm. and that's the part where they struggle and that's why the pre-teach is so important for small children And there are just cue words that you can say. You can say, accept a no answer, or you can say, follow an instruction or disagree appropriately, you know, or drop the subject or calm face, voice, body. There's these little cue phrase that sometimes they're almost there. And you can just say, calm face, voice, body. Remember. Mm -hmm. And oh yeah, calm face, voice, body. Okay. Those those positive trigger phrases. Mm -hmm, Exactly. And it can really help them just start to apply these skills. You may be taught in one context when it was pick up your toys, but when it's pick up your shoes, like that's totally different. And so, (laughs) and so they have to, or when you're in the car, yeah, or put on your seat, like, like sit still so I can buckle you in. Right. That's, that's still following an instruction, but they don't see it. The whole new situation. Pick up my shoes toys or shoes or whatever. Exactly. So, um, so this is, this is something that we have to be patient for. 
We have to wait for this. They, they have to get there in their own time. Mm-hmm. And so we can't force them to have that syntopical relationship with what they did over here versus what I'm going to now do over here. That right. takes brain development. And so that's the part where parents think, surely this is not possible, but it absolutely <laughs> is possible. And Paige, I would say you and your siblings and well, thousands and thousands and thousands of other children that started teaching self-government skills when they're toddlers are actually living proof that these skills absolutely can be learned by children. They actually bring a lot of confidence when Mm -hmm. they're little children. So you guys were really proud of yourself. You know, every time I would say, I'm going to give you an instruction. Do you remember how to follow an instruction? And you'd say, yes. And then I'd say, okay, so look at me. Okay. Here's your instruction. I need you to do this. And you'd say, okay, mommy. And you'd run (laughs) off to do it. And then you come back and say, mommy, I did it, you know, and you were so excited. And then, oh, Paige, you did so great. And, you know, so it was something that brought you confidence. You knew you could do things. Mm -hmm. You didn't have to wait for mommy and daddy to do things. It decreased your whining. It decreased all your temper tantrums because you knew in those little minutes you could have control over yourself. So this helped you mature in really vital ways that actually were age appropriate for you Mm -hmm. at the time. Yeah. And later on, it actually helped me to see differences. It helped me to do that syntopical learning on my own, obviously through, you know, your training and and skills. But later on, I could see, oh, they're fighting with their parents. Oh, they're just not accepting a no answer. Mm -hmm. And you would see that with your friends. You'd say, oh, Mm -hmm. how come my friend isn't accepting a no answer? And you would come home and say, mom, my friend, so-and-so, she was she wasn't, she doesn't know how to accept a no answer. Should we teach her that? <laughs> like, you know, well, um... <laughs> that was you. you asked, Should we teach her? Should I teach her? You know, uh, you know, there was all kinds of things. Um, she's wearing this. Should I tell her that's not good? I'm like, well, every family has their own family standard. Let's, uh, you know, and so, yeah. but you were always worried about making sure everybody else understood what was going to be My, my drive to do the right thing and help others do the right thing. Got me in trouble sometimes. (laughs) It was intense. Well, the thing is though, is that's just part of who you are. So the fact that you're involved in this work with me is no surprise because you've always been that way. Mm -hmm. Even though of all the children, and this probably should be known if we have not stated it before, of all the children, you actually were the most like little snarky little thing. Like you, (laughs) you were the most like, oh, I'm going to have an attitude and I'm going to you know, because you, yeah, you thought you knew an awful lot anyway, but then you kind of like pulled out of it. I mean, well, I mean, we corrected it, you know, and we Mm -hmm. helped you uh, communicate properly, but, um, but you always wanted to do things what you thought the right way. And you even tested it for a little bit and then realized, yeah, actually that is the best way, (laughs) Um, which is good. Okay. So there's a lot of cue phrases you can use for your children. They are in those skills. Get used to using the same words every time. It doesn't matter if the word is something they can't even pronounce yet. So long as it's the same, they understand a lot more than you think. So Mm -hmm. think of that, that term, that term disagree appropriately. That's a big word. And you know how it sounds when the person's like three? They they like don't even know exactly what, I mean, they know what they're doing, but they don't know what it means, but the word is not like, they know I'm going to say this and then I'm going to do this process. And Mm -hmm. that is called and that's what it's called. (laughs) They're just saying the sound, you know, but, um, 
So those cue phrases, you can still use them. Um, but there's other cue phrases you might want to learn to use. So Paige, I remember Grandma taught you and, and Quinn and all of you children the cue phrase pretty. Oh, that's pretty, pretty, pretty. No touching, it's pretty. And so anything that was pretty, a little child was not allowed to touch in grandma's house. This was grandma Peck's little, you know, beauty that she gave you. And, and so then you would look at things and you would say, pretty, pretty, and you would shake your head. <laughs> so you started to apply, oh, pretty, 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 pretty. And you would shake your head because you would know pretty, pretty meant no touch. <laughs> I'm not sure I loved the association there because <laughs> that meant pretty, pretty was always a no. And so if somebody say, you look pretty, maybe that was confusing. I don't know, but that was a cue <laughs> I don't phrase. remember, but. <laughs> okay, well, there you go. So that was a cue phrase though that grandma taught you. And there were other little phrases like that that we would use to help you remember certain things. Because like you said, they don't have the situation permanence. And so because of that, they don't always know how to you apply to it. it with a, each new thing. Yeah. But if there's a cube phrase, they can put themselves back in that back, that past situation that they remember because the phrase has been said multiple times. Okay, so when you're gonna teach your little children, as Paige mentioned, we're gonna be practicing a lot, which means you need to just embrace role-playing, okay? embrace it. Role-playing is a beautiful thing to do with your children. And it really is um, kind of fun. Because well, like we said, you're going to be role-playing new situations, new things. So it's going to be all brand new to them until you start saying those cue phrases and they're like, oh yeah, I know how to do that. Mm -hmm. But it's going to take them a bit. And sometimes you may think they know it and then you give a cue phrase and they still can't put the dots together. And then you got to practice it again. Mm -hmm. So do lots of role plays. Now, one thing you're going to want to role play a lot, you're going to role play those four basic skills, but you're also going to want to role play how you're going to do the corrections. So what I call an effective correction or a proper correction, you want to role play how that is going to happen for them. Now, this is another thing that people think, okay, I'm not sure if this will work for my little child because I feel like you don't correct a little child the same way you correct an older child. And to some degree, that is true. However, the principles do remain the same. So let's talk about correcting the children because you're going to want to role play this. You're going to want to practice it. You and dad, like one of them pretends they're the child, like dad's <laughs> the child and mom's the mom and, and mom does the correction with dad and you practice it in front of the little one so that they see, oh, this is an okay way to communicate. And when somebody's out of control, this is what mommy is going to do every time. And mm -hmm. they get that practice. They can see it in action and then they practice it with you too when it's pretend. Now I do want to just warn you that when you do role plays with children, especially like ages two, sometimes into three, they have a hard time with role reversal. So you're going to want to always keep them the child and always keep you the parent. It's a different thing when they watch daddy and mommy practice it or mommy practice it with another child or something. But when they put themselves in it, they literally can't see themselves as somebody else yet when they're, when they're really yeah. little. They don't have that kind of foresight. So just remember that. Um, so you're going to be practicing the tone. Okay, this is super important. The tone that you have with all the teaching but the teaching and the correction is huge. And it has to be the same tone that you will use in an actual correction. Yeah, you're right. Because um, sometimes during the teaching, we're all sweetie, sweetie. And then in, in the moment we take some little mistake or, or we have to spend the time to teach them more things and to, to, for them to do learning personally. And then we get stressed. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden our tone changes. So you got to decrease stress 
So yeah. there's some things you can do to decrease stress within the practice and in real life too. And one of those things is just to tell yourself and slow down. You only get this little one time with this child right now. They grow so fast. So mm-hmm. slow down, enjoy the learning. And if you're late somewhere, whatever, who cares? So you're also going to teach them the words, the exact tone that you're going to use. Also the exact words that you are going to use in any given situation. So you are going to say, this is what mommy will say. So let's practice it just now. This is what happened. And you're going to go through that whole seven step process of doing an effective or proper correction. And you are going to stick to those words because they become cue phrases for your child. So Mm -hmm. that's why you don't want to deviate from the script. And if you can, both parents use the same script. That makes it so that the child does not have to learn two different scripts, especially when they're little, okay? So if you can keep it exactly the same when they're little, when they get older and their brain can do more syntopical adaptations and stuff like that, then you can say, oh, okay, I said it a little differently, but the child gets it. It's the same principle, it's the same point. We're going Mm -hmm. in the same direction. I might've not said calm face, voice, and body. I might've said be calm, but like they get it. They They know what it is. Yeah, but that takes some time. So at first keep the words exactly the same every single time you're doing a correction. And of course they're gonna be practicing this. That'll help with skill permanence. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. So um, then- you are, you also need to know, okay, so what do we do first, right? There is a chart that we have, um, the teaching self-government website. So teaching self-government.com, there is a chart and that chart has when to use certain things. So it's not going to give you all the steps. Okay. Mm-hmm. But it's going to say after they do this, if they choose this, cause it's called the choices map is what it's called. If they choose this, then this is what happens next. If they choose this, then this is what happens next. This helps you so much. Okay. Mm -hmm. And there are two tracks on the side when they're not making good choices (laughs) for when they're little and when they're older. And you notice that the, the track for the small child ends when they are at the calm down place. Okay. Mm -hmm. And the, the track for the older child goes into something called the rule of three, and then it goes longer. So see, we don't expect the child to go when they're tiny, we don't expect them to go through that whole process of the rule of three necessarily. And I say necessarily because occasionally it is appropriate. However, so what you teach, you pre-teach, this is how mommy will correct you. But if you do this, and you know, you fake a tantrum or whatever, and, and then mommy will say, oh, Porter, you are whining or Porter, you are crying. We need to get calm. We're going to go to the calm down place. And then you're going to gently take them by the arm and you're going to take them to the calm down place. Now they will be pre-taught during one of your pre-teaching sessions that they need to stay on the calm down place until they can look at you, keep a calm face, voice and body, say, okay. And, or disagree appropriately and then drop the subject or do whatever it is, and then check back until they can follow a simple instruction or accept a simple no answer. This is how long they would stay there. Now you're going to teach them to that ahead of time, but you're going to have to prep them during it. We're going to go there. Now, remember, if you can keep a calm face, voice, and body, if you can say, okay, then we can get off of the calm down place. Calm down place is not timeout. Paige, what's the difference? Timeout is more, it's a punishment that parents have come up with where 
it's a punishment where you have to you sit your child down and say you can't leave until I say you can leave. Whereas the timeouts or the calm down spot is a place designed only for the child to stay as long as they need to until they're calm. As soon as they are calm, then um, mommy and child talk and then they can leave the calm down spot. Right. It's just a trigger spot. That is it. So if on the way to the calm down spot, the child gets calm, they don't have to go there. You just then talk about it. You do a correction. And a praise. And oh yeah, you praise them for getting calm for sure. And then you do a correction. They accept their little consequence and then they move on. So, you know, and they get to be told that too. Hey, if you get calm right now, you don't even have to go to the calm down place. What? in their brain it's like what like say okay just say okay and take a breath and wow if they can do that on the way there they don't even have to go there so time out a lot of people use as isolation for the child like you're not behaving well you cannot be with us you know kind of like children should be seen and not heard you know kind of a thing and and it's it really is bad for the bonds for the family bonds those bonds are everything to the child um Mm -hmm. forever but especially when they're little like they learn through all the bonds And so, you know, making a distance between the bonds when they need you most is oftentimes not very merciful. So anyway, um, you talked about when you would go there and how, how we know we're done. If, if we are done with a calm down place, that means we can keep a calm face, voice and body. We can say, okay, and follow an instruction and check back. And so I might prompt my child, you know, like, I know you're sad, say, okay. You know, or I know, I know you want to talk about this, but say, okay take a breath and then we can talk about it. And so I'm going to, you know, prompt them in that direction. And then afterward, they get the opportunity to accept a negative consequence, which in our family is usually an extra chore. And then they move on from there. So um, you're definitely going to want the words for these skills. You're going to probably want a little bit more training. This is super fast that we're going (laughs) through this. Um, There's a lot more to it. But if if you really get your brain wrapped around it, if you decide you're not going to take misbehavior personally, but you're going to take a proactive, loving, calm approach, prepare them for success, prepare their little brains for success by teaching them the skills and and how the corrections are going to happen, then guess what happens? happens they can do it they learn self-government they actually will find confidence they will Mm -hmm. have be more content in their lives um less whiting and they start self-correcting just like you used to look at something at grandma's house and you would look at it and shake your own head and say pretty pretty you would be telling yourself no when nobody else even had to tell you at a certain point you just told yeah. yourself no by shaking your head and saying pretty, pretty. Well, and that's self-government. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing that a child will do. Like they'll, they'll start to do something. They'll look at it and they'll say, no answer, no answer. That's a no answer. Calm face, you know, or drop the subject. They, they remember little things after a while and they can put it all together. Yeah. So anyway, it really is amazing. And it's cute. <laughs> it's very cute. <laughs> so cute. There is literally nothing more darling than seeing a child, a little tiny child, do this mature thing, like keep calm and say, okay. And then check back, mommy, I did that. Is there anything else? I mean, it's just like melts your heart. <laughs> now I have a question for you. Okay. Because someone I was talking to in regards to all this said, well, 
what if I have fallen out of love with my child? Mm. Uh, That can happen to a parent when we start focusing on ourselves too much Mm. and we start thinking, um, well, that child's a representation of me and that's not how I want them to be, or they're taking too much of my time. So you see the self in there, representation of me, what Mm -hmm. I want, my time. Um, They are being mean to me. They are trying to hurt me. I don't get what I need. When a person gets into that frame of reference, um, it's very easy to let selfishness take over and to fall out of love with their child. This can happen. And it can happen to anyone. There was a time where I fell out of love um, with one of my children, in particular, one of my foster children. And I have to say, uh, even you, Paige, I just say it was probably me. (laughs) But there was a time when you had some very bossy behaviors, you were probably like eight years old or so. And you were so bossy. And I started and you kept trying to boss to me and I kept having mm-hmm. to correct it. And it was just becoming like many times a day. And I thought, when is she going to stop this? <laughs> and, and I lost a little bit of my patience. I didn't like let anything out on you, but I, within my own head, I started thinking, oh, here it comes again. And when you do that, you know, you're really just thinking of yourself. And I actually had to tell myself, Nicoline, you are taking this personally. You have got to pray to love that child. And so then I started, anytime I would feel selfishness about me having to do extra teaching for you, Paige, or anybody else for that matter, I would think, I've got to make sure I feel the love right now. Do I feel the love? And if not, I got to go get the love. And I would go pray and I would ask God to to bless me with a feeling of more love for you. Yeah. And it worked. It absolutely works. So if you don't feel love for your child, you have to take proactive steps. You have to make a plan. Yeah. Well, like you have to any- make sure your heart is open to like when you ask for that help, you, you can't mm-hmm. just say, I need help. But my, you have to be willing to accept the help. Mm-hmm. True. Well, and part of changing that is also acknowledging um, I did this to myself. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I distanced myself from my child. And sometimes a child will pull back from you, even when they're little, this is starting to happen in families. And I think a lot of it has to do with a lot of the distractions that we have in our lives that there are children pulling away from parents more and more, even when they're little, which is weird. It's not normal development for a child that's yeah. little anyway, but even if they're initiating it, you cannot follow suit and, and power struggle with it. So mm-hmm. I think the biggest thing is remembering who you are, what your role is in the situation. Your role is to nurture and to teach and to love. And that requires long suffering and patience and endurance and, and foresight. And so you don't get reactive. You stay in that proactive mm-hmm. time. And you know, what I would probably do is I would say to myself, I would write down, this is what I am struggling with, you know, get out the journal or whatever. And I am not feeling connected and and loving toward this child. And I know it. And so every time that I see, every time I feel this one thing or get this one thought that pops into my head, I'm going to use that as a trigger to go and pray until I feel love for the child or to go and Mm. think things I'm grateful about for that child. And then come and do the teaching. So gratitude is the seed of love. If we can be grateful for someone If we can think, ah, 
they did that thank you even that little thank you is the start of love which is why when we lose manners in our culture um we actually lose the little seeds of love when we when we lose being grateful for other people around us mm. then our love for humankind actually diminishes which is really sad so gotcha. anyway good question Paige. that's fantastic and and i think that there are many parents that can find themselves stuck there when they never thought that they would feel that way yeah so i have so. another question so okay, bring it on okay <laughs> i don't know how many questions i didn't even know we were doing questions i've been stacking them up mom i got some others i think on the next podcast we should talk definitely about teens and applying things mm-hmm. to teens so if any of the questions relate to teens no, let's not go there but if these no, are it's not. parents of little children then bring it on okay yes. what do we got so what if because this is actually a reality for a lot of people. What if you have a very strong-willed, very smart young child? I was talking to a mom and she said, my five-year-old, almost six-year-old is so smart, but she is so strong-willed and so stubborn that I feel like, I feel like she needs to do the rule of three, even though she's only five. Oh, I'm so glad you mentioned that because I was going to mention that and I forgot. So this is perfect. (laughs) Okay. So, um, you can use the rule of three for a young child if you need to. And because I mentioned that before, like sometimes you might need to, well, if your child is really intelligent, I mean, even if they're moderately intelligent, I mean, but if they, but if they are, if they are intelligent, you know, okay, they're strong willed, they're pushing buttons, they're manipulating, they're trying to not get caught. Okay. They're smart enough for the rule of three then. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so if they're playing those kinds of games, then you can do the rule of three. However, you have to modify it. So we modify the rule of three. There's three different consequences that a person can earn in the rule of three. And you definitely want to make those age appropriate for that child. So for instance, the first negative consequence is a major maintenance. You're going to make that time appropriate for a smaller child. So an older child might do a chore that takes 45 minutes or an hour where a child that's like four is going to probably do like a 15 minute chore. It's different. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because their normal chores take like one minute, (laughs) you know, so it's a big (laughs) difference. Okay. So time appropriate, age appropriate. And then so does, that's a problem solving exercise that we teach in the course. And you would do those verbally with the child as opposed to writing those down, which would make a big difference. And then um, the loss of privileges. Now we know that a a person can have loss of privileges for 24 hours if they're older than maybe ages six or seven. Um, and usually I don't even get to 24 until my children hit about age eight. Uh, before that, you kind of always want to modify, especially that last one, especially, but where you fit, where they're at developmentally. So if it was like a four-year-old or a five-year-old, they might lose their privileges for two hours. Mm-hmm. And when a person loses their privileges for two hours, that really means that during that time they do chores for two hours. They help, they follow instruction after instruction. Plus they do their major maintenance and their sodas during that time. And um, they don't get to just hang around with the siblings or just sit there, or they have to be doing something that, that helps them master themselves, which is the following of those instructions and accepting of those consequences. So you can, and um, I know there are so many just little strong souls. Okay. I'm just going to call them strong souls because they're, We have the makings in our society for an incredibly strong future. Oh, and I think it's intended that way. 
Um, yeah. you know, just based on where our world is at, but we have to make sure that we can help these kids navigate those things and put it towards productive things. It is. Yeah. You have to channel it in the right direction. Right. Mm-hmm. And so giving them truths that they can hold on to these principles, these skills where they can succeed and it helps develop even more confidence in them. Uh, you will see that they start to thrive. Mm-hmm. And when they know what's right, wrong, say, that's, what, that's what happened to me because I'm mm-hmm. d- definitely a strong soul. <laughs> yes. Agreed. But once Absolutely. I knew where to channel all my energy and all my conviction and my stubborn and strong will, mm-hmm. then you can, you better believe I'm a force to be reckoned with. Yeah, true. In fact, I think all my children, all four of you, I can say that. In fact, people have mentioned it to me. They're like, Nicolene, you don't have like any duds like all of your children <laughs> they're all so strong wow well, i'm glad i'm not a dud <laughs> not a dud anyway but they, they would say you know your children they're so strong-willed and you can tell they're so confident but they didn't like give you problems and i'm like well don't kid yourself i mean they <laughs> they still they still had their moments you know but we just kept pointing stuff toward self-government self-control we kept pointing it toward what would be useful for them and what would help them. So Mm -hmm. anyway, yeah, absolutely. So we didn't have to have uh, any duds. So uh, (laughs) no no duds. duds. Yeah, no (laughs) duds. Again, not to say people haven't struggled and not to say that you guys haven't even hit adulthood and gone, I think I need to learn that lesson a little bit more. I mean, that happens because that's how people learn. But then we're able to take the initiative ourselves and learn it ourselves. Yeah. But that's just development though. Like Mm -hmm. you can't make a perfect adult by making a perfect child. That's not what happens. You, you point the child toward becoming that best version of the adult that they'll be one day, but they still have to go through the learning processes. And the parent's job is just to be ready no matter where they're at developmentally. And all of the principles that we teach in the teaching self-government parenting course, they all apply to all ages of people. We're talking the parents too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So Paige, um, just a little plug for the course. So our course is amazing. It's stellar. And there are calls that happen. They're coaching calls that are part of this course. So the course has 10 modules and you can go through the the modules that you're okay. Yeah. The TSG parenting course, it has 10 modules. A person can go through it at their own rate, but there's also these four coaching calls that they get with certified mentors. You are one of those mentors that they oftentimes get to meet with and, and you are talking with them and coaching them all the time and helping them. So, um, you know, people need to know that they get to meet with you. Plus it comes with a support group where they can access a support group where I answer their questions every single week. Mm -hmm. And so, plus there's like this whole vault of of me answering every question under the sun that they get to be part of. (laughs) And so, I mean, seriously, it is just absolutely the best training you could ever have Mm -hmm. for your parenting, your family relationships, for your own self-mastery. It's absolutely incredible. So that that is on teachingselfgovernment.com. And I highly recommend that you go and you check that out and, and give yourself, you know, a month or two to go through it. I, I think a lot of people, it's usually around eight weeks or so. Um, where they get through that course and they do like a module a week. Yeah, that's how long you have the uh, mentoring sessions for. 
because you get calls, yeah. uh, you get four mentor calls with me and usually another certified mentor sometimes it's just me so lucky you but <laughs> um yeah. but yeah a lot of people they don't take advantage of those and so and they're free in fact one of my recent batches well they're not um, free they're part of the course, well but yeah but free in the course yes. <laughs> but yeah one of my batches uh, a couple months ago it was just one lady who showed up every time. So she basically got, you know, private mentor calls. She got private mentoring on yeah. her. Yeah, that is so awesome. <laughs> awesome. So anyway, honestly, check that out. So good. There's so many things that you can find at teachingselfgovernment.com. And really a lot of help if you want the most help with your small children. And so this is probably, you know, the main thing I need to say. People ask me, well, what about small children? the support group, okay, that I do every single week that you can sign up for and be part of. In that support group, I have answered more questions about small children than I have answered anywhere ever. And I promise you, it's pretty comprehensive. Mm -hmm. So if you want to get really good at this through all the stages of their development, that support group is a place you want to hang out get that shot in the arm every single week. So anyway, well, thank you so much for joining us on this teaching self-government podcast, all about little children. I think we've answered the question, can little children learn self-government? What do you say, Paige? Yes, sir. Or ma'am. Yes, they can. (laughs) Yes, they can. All right. Well, we are going to talk to you again next time. Thank you for joining us. Bye-bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Teaching Self-Government Podcast. For more information and resources to help unite your family, visit teachingselfgovernment.com.